previously on Funny Science Fiction. And I wasn't holding it properly, so the spent casings kept hitting Michael in the head <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> Hi, I am the Hal, and welcome to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. The podcast that the apes from the Planet of the Apes movies will use to justify their conquest of humanity. The technical difficulties, that scared the crap out of me. Now the computers are taking over. Whew. Okay. Our guest today is an outstanding voice actor who has brought to life many characters over the years. His voice acting credits include the universes of Transformers, G.I. Joe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Muppet Monsters, and more. We're excited to welcome Hal Rail to our little corner of the internet. Thanks for joining us today, Hal. Hey, thank you for having me. How yeah, are you, everybody? <laughs> Boy, it's a universe out there. Don't ask me to paint it. <laughs> Can you hear me? I say, can you hear me in Houston? Yeah, we hear you loud and clear. Great. That's Nick. He's in Houston and he'll be editing today's show. Thank I you. I love this. <laughs> I'm going to call you Blade. Thank you, Blade. So before we get into all the super cool things that you've done in your journey as a voice actor, there's one thing I need to discuss with you. Mm -hmm. You did the voice of Miss Piggy for a while. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you prepare yourself for a role like that? I mean, Piggy is a phenomenal character. And I think that other than Kermit, probably one of the, the characters from Muppets that people think of most when they think of the Muppets. But she's also a little over the top. Well, she's a little persnickety. <laughs> yes. Kissy, kissy. That's the good side. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, I was fortunate. I, uh, I took a lot of risks in my career. And one of the risks I took was I was in San Francisco and I had had cancer and I was trying to get better. And this was in the early 80s. And uh, San Francisco was completely avoiding me. So I decided, okay, I'm going to check other markets. So I was a bartender. You know, it's the old, oh, you're an actor. What, uh, what restaurant do you work in? <laughs> uh, I was a bartender in a place in San Francisco, and one of the guys that came in, actually, no, this was in Los Gatos, and, and the antique bar in Old Town Los Gatos. Guy comes in and says, hey, I went to school with Dave Galls. I said, of the Muppets? He says, yeah. I said, wow, could, could, you, could you get me his address? <laughs> Here's a free drink. He gave me his address. It took about three months to coax it out of him. But finally, he gave me his address. I sent it to Dave Galls. Uh, I put together like this list of voices of all the Muppets I could do and other things. And then I, I put together a, uh, a tape that I had called the Bleepers Audition. Uh, and it was just all these characters coming in and trying to do this one line as an audition and all the myriad of different ways you can deliver one line, depending upon what character you are. So I sent that and then I sent a picture and some other stuff. Well, two and a half years later, they got a hold of me and said, would you fly to New York and audition to be a Muppeteer? 
So I flew to New York and I worked with Frank Oz and I worked with Jim Henson and Richard Hunt. And the morning I got there, Rich, um, the, the morning I got there, Richard Hunt pulled out the packet that I had sent to Dave Galls. Thank you, Dave Galls. There was this list of all, he ran me down every voice in front of all 50 people that were called in from around the country. I did very well. They were nice. late. <laughs> so I made it down to the bottom five out of 50. They hired one. It wasn't me, but I got a call a few years after that, Richard Hunt. Hey, we're doing the Muppets and we need Miss Piggy and uh, we have a Kermit. So we need a, a Miss Piggy. And uh, I said, I can do Gonzo and Animal. He said, great. So I auditioned against everybody in Hollywood, like you do. And fortunately, the finger of fate pointed my direction. And <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. So I was watching some of your videos on YouTube and I really enjoyed how you made the predator in pain sound by using a large can and a lamp top along with the vibration in the back of your throat. Mm -hmm. So do you have some other interesting combos that you have used to create various voices or sound effects? For kid video, I had a, uh, a number 10 can uh, that I cut the bottom out of that I could use a, um, at those time you would go to 7-Eleven, you could buy those plastic and you could pop these tops on it. So I cut out the bottom of the can, the exact size as the plastic top, used a little fishing line, tied it to the bottom of the can, and I could use that as like a trumpet mute to go into the can and do sound effects, pull the can away, release it as I did, and, and create like a trombone of effects for going into the uh, kid video. Uh, I played it, I think he's right there, Toolbot. You can't see him, <laughs> but imagine if you could. <laughs> and that was a little guy. Let me see. Oh, that's cool. So he would go into himself with his hands and grab things. So the voice would sometimes be in the back or in that drawer. So we had, we use things to uh, mm. muffle it and add dimension to it. You can also use uh, this with a waste can and do great monsters. You just aim it down into the waste can, hold it like this, and then do the same thing where you gauge the roar however you want to have it, close, up, distant, bellowing out towards the microphone or tight in. It's a science, guys. It's, you know, it's, it's audio. I... I was fortunate. I got to work with a guy by the name of uh, Smith, Frank Smith. And Frank Smith was the audio man who created the sound effects for Fibber McGee and Molly's closet. Every time on old radio, he would open the closet and out would come this cacophonous calamity of collection of things that would fall out of that closet, followed by a milk pail with a loose handle. And the way he did that was he had a stepladder 
and he had books and sundry things stacked on each one of those different levels of the ladder. And he would push from the top all the way down. And he was a sound effects master. I trained with him in San Francisco before I got into being big in the voiceover. I was always trying to figure out how audio worked because that's, yeah, is that, that's it. That's what I do. This is just that's cool. Yeah, I just watched uh, I just watched a documentary made by a gentleman named Clayton Sandell, uh, who did one about uh, the name. The, yeah, he's an ABC News correspondent. Um, Clayton Sandell, and I'm here to tell you about the sand. It's mounting on our beaches. On the Dell. Even as I stand here, the surf rises, but the sand gouges at my toes. Sorry, go ahead. So, so you've heard his work before. Yeah. No, uh, no. Clayton does, did a really cool documentary about the movie The Last Jedi from Star Wars about how they did the sound. It's called The Force of Sound. It's about a half hour long. It's really interesting to me. You know, some of the sounds that you hear in that movie, you don't understand. It, it shows how some of these sounds were made, how they were created. And, yeah, of the of the power lines. Uh, yeah, just it had that reverberation as the sound of the... Uh, the uh, the the swords clacking for the for mm-hmm. uh, the saber fights. Another great one. They brought had these great big cr- uh, grates from um, uh, baking sheets, and they wired them, and then they just tap it real light with a wooden hammer, and it vibrated so deeply and resonantly, and it was wired right into the 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 tone, and that's the docking sound when the ships come together. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I tell you, man, this creating <laughs> creating the sounds is a lot of the magic. You used to be able to take uh, plastic from uh, from uh, uh, dry cleaners and knot it, and then set it on fire and mic it at different levels, and it would be like. They changed the plastic alloy. Now you can't do that. So mm. don't try this at home, kids. Don't light anything on fire and never <laughs> inhale anything plastic. It's on fire. That was a no. That was a no. That's good advice. All right, Hal. So let's talk about some of the inspiration that you had to become a voice actor. Now, for some voice actors, it's a, another voice actor or a radio personality, something that helped lead them down the path of voice work, or they were just randomly inspired by different things as they grew up so what inspired you Hal to become a voice actor was there an outside influence or was it just the next progression in what you're doing in sound well as a natural progression at three years old I said when I grow up I want to do cartoon voices and they said well you watch too much television well it was 1958 we didn't even have a television (laughs) um but the, the gist of it is I had seen a puppet show and i knew that there inherently i knew that there was a guy behind the curtain oh boy look at all this i'm the puppeteer and i and i figured that animation was just my coloring books you know colored in and somebody doing the voices and i thought that's that seems cool um cut to 26 years old and um in the hospital and have half my back removed in cancer. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I had already done stand-up comedy and uh, tried to 
get into Los Angeles through stand-up to get recognized to try to do cartoon voices, but uh, I got chewed up and spit out a couple of times. And uh, then I got wise and put together a plan and all the necessary things that I needed, uh, resume, demo, everything you needed to get an agent. Moved to the town, local address, local phone number, find an agent, boom, found one. Got some auditions. I was lucky. I was there in the beginning of the 80s. And, you know, the, the first cartoon series I got was a thing called the Transformers. Um, and I got this thing called Snarl. And then Wally Burr was doing this other show called G.I. Joe. And he, I, they needed a guy to play uh, a character named Deep Six, uh, Underwater Demolition. So uh, they said, what do you got? And I figured, well, you know, <laughs> I pulled out Kowalski, you know, the tunneler. I just made Charlie Brunson, the guy down in the 50 fathoms down. The line was, Colonel. I go down 50 fathoms. I defuse 50 megaton bombs and I like to work alone. <laughs> well, that just lends itself to Charlie Bronson. So they, they, they said, you know what? That lends itself to Charlie Bronson. So I became deep six. And then that brought me back to doing Insecticon named Shut up now, shut up now. The Insecticon, Insecticon. <laughs> and that then got me over to G.I. Joe, where they asked if I could do a character who was Svartic. So because I had watched Hanna Barbera as a child, I did Haji. I, this is Prince, this is, what was his name? Oh, Prince Amir, the Prince of the Desert Sands. G.I. Joe has come to free my people and I am here to help G.I. Joe and his forces. You know, naturally I can't get away with that now. But uh, I got away with it then. And uh, thank you, Haji. I love G.I. Joe. It was, you know, it was just an extension of him as a grown-up for me. Um, and then that got us into the movies of G.I. Joe or uh, Transformers. And, you know, then I just, uh, next question, please. <laughs> well, I've had my voice recorded a number of times and I'll, go back and listen to it. And then I tend to be my own biggest critic. So do you find yourself like criticizing your work or find it hard to listen to shows or things that you've been in? I'm always amazed when I listen to my work. I, A, I'm amazed that I'm in it. Uh, and B, I'm amazed at how good it sounds. You know, and when you, add that professional touch of sound engineering and you throw in the sound effects and you mix me in with everybody else and I'm in the scene and I'm hearing myself and I'm going like, wow, it's like I belonged there or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm still a kid, you know. I remember playing with G.I. Joes as a child and then growing up sure. and on the series. Oh, man, you know. And I got to tell you, we, we had great people. I was talking with a fellow this morning and we were talking about Scatman Carruthers and geez, man, Scatman used to sit there and sometimes he'd bring a ukulele, sometimes he'd bring a, a mouth harp, but he would play uh, harmonica or the ukulele sing old songs and tell us stories about vaudeville and the old days. And, you know, it was, 
I was there at a very magical time when there were just enough of the older folk that were still mixed in with us youngsters. I say youngsters. <laughs> but I was there at the last of analog before it became digital. And from that time out, everything, everything has changed. All the contracts, all the way business is done. You know, lots of things moved out of the country uh, and what they didn't move out of the country. You know, you have Canadians and Australians and uh, um, English and anybody in Europe that can work here, we can't work there. It's just the conditions of the business. I keep trying to tell people it's called show business. You depended too much on the show. You got to remember there's a business going on around you. Uh -huh. Never expect more than 10% from somebody who's making 10%. Even if they're making 15%, you know, you got to do 100%, maybe 200% if you want anything to happen. Right. All right. That's all right. No, I'm going to put the soapbox down. <laughs> Next well, that's please. that's okay. You might put it back up for the next question. So, <laughs> every other voiceover artist that we've talked to has preached the importance of proper training, the importance of practicing the art of voiceover work. Now, you mentioned it earlier, and I noticed in in my uh, research, uh, looking up information about you, that you were trained by Jim Henson, Frank Oz, among others. So can you tell me, us what it was like to be able to work with industry greats like Jim Henson and Frank Oz and to learn from them? And also, was there something that you took from that time with them that you still use today? Okay, um, I'm going to answer that question like a hand. I'm going to spread it out five ways. Do it. Here's what I do. I, I was fortunate enough to work with Jim Henson and Frank Oz. I'm not a Muppeteer. I can do this. I can I can emulate what I'm doing and make my hand act like it. It's a, a Muppet, but I, I'm I'm not a Muppeteer. Um, what I what I have learned from them is how they do what they do. I'm a dyslexic, so it's very difficult for me to get over the fact that I have to read things on a straight line and I could lose my place at any time. But by sheer will and by studying with a lot of people, I learned how to overcome that disability. Marking the copy, I learned through Dawes Butler. It's a thing he called orchestration of copy. In that, I could then determine, okay, where do I want to take a full pause? Where do I want to take a slight pause? Where might a breath be taken to give me more breath to be able to get to emphasis later on in the sentence when it's called for? And where might I put a diphthongal expression, which is when you take a two or three syllable word, uh, emulate, and you go, emulate. <laughs> You just milk a word. And that was Dawes Butler's thing. Hold it, stage right even. You know, it was all these things, Huckleberry Hound, uh, Snagglepuss, Yogi Bear. Uh, he was, and, and not even getting into the fact when he was in Aesop's Fables and in uh, Jetson, Leroy Jetson. Golly, Dad. Oh, yeah, he was the greatest little guy in the world. And he can make you feel like, oh, you're the most important thing in the world. And, you know, he's like in his 80s and he's doing that voice of Elroy Jetson. I mean, that's, that's when you know placement. You can go to that place anytime and no matter where you're, you might be like this. 
when they say, uh, do Elroy. Oh, golly, Dad, I know exactly where that is. That's right up here at the top. And then I had the, and wow. You know, oh, it, that's great. It's it, it basically your your body is an instrument. Your, this is part of your cavity. The more people you study with, the more they'll help you discover your instrument. Another guy I studied with, well, I didn't really study with, I worked with was a, a guy by the name Howard Morris. Howard Morris. It's me, it's me, it's Ernest T. But, uh, Howard was Jerry Lewis's father in The Nutty Professor. He was so many things. He was in Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows. Uncle Goomfy. Oh, my God. You know, the people that I got to work with, Roger C. Carmel, who was uh, uh, on Star Trek. He was, uh, if you ever saw uh, Mud's Women, Harry Mud on Star Trek. Oh, that's Roger C. Carmel. The people I'm mentioning, they're from a way back machine, if I might quote uh, Mr. D uh, Professor Peabody, Dr. Peabody, I should say. Right. Um, you know, basically, I hearken back to a different era. And a lot of what I hearken back into is 30s and 40s actors and 50s actors, people who came out of vaudeville and old radio. And I was fortunate enough to work with these people. Hal Smith, who was Otis on Andy of Mayberry, The Town Drunk. I mean, these were lovely, wonderful, warm people. Uh, and to, I mean, I got to work with Jack Riley and uh, uh, Roscoe uh, Lee Brown and uh, uh, Percy Rodriguez and people like that that would come to me and say, how, because I had an open real tape machine. They would say, how can you, can you assemble this for me? Because, uh, you know, the agents say, I need to have this for the on hold thing. <laughs> I, as a result of being in Cunningham Escott Dupini at the right time and having every actor there be a procrastinator. That's my dog in the back. That's Frodo. Make yourself comfy there, Frodo. Good. That's dog. awesome. Yeah. At any rate, uh, you know, being around those kinds of people, you pick up not only what they do, you pick up how comfortable they are with what they do. And because of that, you can start to own yourself a lot easier. I, I try to tell people that it really is, as you believe, so shall others. When you walk into the room, you have to own yourself so that somebody goes, hey, I could cast that guy and I could trust that they'll do the job. And then I don't have to worry about that because I got all this other stuff I got to take care of. I mean, all you have to do in your job is make yourself, make everybody else believe you know what you're doing. You know, you just right. always say yes and you earn while you learn. Very cool. So a quick question for you that we didn't plan on asking you today, but now I have to ask you because I heard your dog's name. Are you a Lord of the Rings fan? Is that why his dog is named Frodo? Of course. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. I read Lord of the Rings to uh, my daughter five times when she was growing up. We read all, uh, we saw all the movies and I left home to become an actor because of a moment in The Hobbit when Bilbo climbs to the top of Mirkwood and he looks out over the trees and he sees the butterflies and he sees the sun shining down and he thinks to himself, you know, if, if I never left 
the comfort of my little hobbit hole, I would never have behold such a sight as this. And I thought, I got to go out and see the sights because I've seen my hometown. Hmm. That's cool. I like that. Go see the sights. <laughs> Absolutely. It was uh, Aristotle who said, the world is a book, and if you never travel, you can live on a single page. Mm -hmm. Some of us live in a single sentence. Very Talk true. Yourself. Travel. <laughs> so your <Next> question. <laughs> so you're a voice actor with a huge amount of experience. What do you think is harder to do, a funny voice or an evil voice? And is it harder to be funny or to be threatening? Honestly, if you're a voice actor, you have to be able to know how to laugh and cry as your characters. So the rest depends upon the writing and what the, what the author grants you in the verbiage for you to be able to color and, and you know, add the scene, make it come alive, if you will. Um, I like to feel like less is more. The closer you can get to the microphone and the less you have to project your voice, the more you can get out of your voice, out of the resonant cavity, even out of the saliva that's in your neck and in your uh, epiglottal flap. And you can then warm things up and make things come alive closer. You, you know, I can't do that if I'm projecting. But if you want to do evil, sometimes doing nothing at all, but just bringing it in right here. I mean, that's, that's flavor, that's, that's a color. And that's, you know, not really going, you are the most, or any of that BS. <laughs> you don't have to go over the top. I like to tell people there is a four courses or four points in the compass, big, Little, little, big, big, little. Sometimes you do a little voice for a big guy. Sometimes you do a big voice for a little guy. It's up to you. And, you know, sometimes you can be fast thinking or fast talking and slow thinking. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways you can change up the character. You can put your tongue on the other side of your mouth. You can, you know, Clog your nose and hold everything right here. Hey, go to Chicago, you know, get yourself a brat, sit on the Dan Ryan. <laughs> See what's happening. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Oh, I'm, so, by the way, I'm doing a book. I'm finishing it now, and it's called The Book of Voices by Hal Rail. And I have a a chapter in there on improvisation from my wife, Maggie Roswell on the Simpsons. And so uh, it's going to, I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm like a jazz musician here. I'm just hand, I'm telling you how I did everything and how you can do it. Breaking well, down cool. the alphabet to show you how different letters of the alphabet can open up the different portions of your voice and things like that. So I'm, my job is to make the gener next generation better than the work that's calling them to do. Because, right? That's cool. When you were, to give you an example, when we were in analog, it was good, fast, and cheap. Pick two. You could get it good and fast, but it wouldn't be cheap. 
You can get it good and cheap, but it wouldn't be fast. You see where I'm going? Mm -hmm. Now it's good, fast, and cheap, and I want a social networking bump. So what's the pendulum is swinging away from quality, but it has to swing back. So that's the voice artist's job is to make everything come back to quality. You owe it to the people before you who created this genre working only in quality with quality. Mm -hmm. Stay in the game, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. I look forward to that. Um, so I, I acknowledge fully that asking a seasoned voiceover artist to pick a, a favorite project is a bit like asking a parent to pick their favorite child. They may have one, but they don't want to say it aloud, you know, because they don't want the other ones to hear oh, it. I don't mind. So, all right, well, cool. So, <laughs> is there a favorite of your projects that you did or, or just one that really meant a lot to you to be part of? Well, everything is my favorite, but it, one that comes to mind was landing the job as the HAL 9000 computer and working with Keir DeLay. And the way that it came to about, because that was when I knew, geez, everything was changing. This was about 1987, 88. I'm in Los Angeles at uh, Waves Recorders. Kier DeLay is in New York at a recording studio. The client is in Houston, Texas in a recording studio. And the agency is in Chicago in a recording studio. And we're all uplinked through satellite. And everybody is live in the same room. Now, I'd been working at a place called Burton Bars in Los Angeles as a, a creative comedy uh, copywriter, uh, mm -hmm. specializing in doing comedy radio. And this, I knew, was the end of the $1,000 lunch. <laughs> everybody linked up, and you didn't have to travel there. And, oh, it, I thought, oh, it's all going to change. And, yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. But to work with Kier and have him say, okay, Hal, and I say, yes, no. Oh, well, when Hal, uh, yes. When the computer, Hal, yes. <laughs> well, let me ask you this is who is Hal? I'm Hal. Who's the computer, Hal? I am. Is your name Hal? Yes. Wow. That I loved. <laughs> from Dave. I got a wow from Dave. I still had to lock him out. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. <laughs> but no, I love that. And also, well, so our Facebook group has over 132,000 members right now. And Pinkies. <laughs> yeah, they're going to lose their mind. We get so many, I'm sorry, Hal, I can't do that memes. It's not even funny. So yeah, they're going to lose their minds with that. That's great. Well, we got, we got well, just one question left for you. have to reside in a small niche called a hole in the ground. Three men somehow <laughs> triangulated through science speak. If you were to take two characters that you have and done and did a crossover with them, which two characters would you like to see come together to see, do a show together? Oh, um, hmm. 
Doyle Cleverlobe because I I love uh I love old Doyle. He was a great guy out in Galaxy High School. Yeah. Uh, you know, pretty much he got ripped off and then, and then he he found himself in uh, Futurama with somebody else doing the voice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, let me think, who else? Alfred Hitchcock. I was the Alfred Hitchcock for uh, Universal Studios as well as the HAL 9000. So, yeah, those two would get along well. Interesting. I'm sorry, I don't think we can go there. <laughs> nice. Why not? I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> Why not? How would you like to know strangulation with a gentleman's necktie? Why not? <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. All right, so Hal, we've got to the point of our show where we like to do a small quiz with each and every one of our guests. So it's a five-question quiz. All, all questions are multiple choice. Now, if you get three questions correct, we want to send you this I gave to the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans coffee mug. If you get four questions correct, we want to send you that coffee mug along with this book called Custodians of the Cosmos, written by our group founder, Drayton Allen. It's a book written about a young man who wanted to join Starfleet, but he couldn't. So he rejoined as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who boldly just went. <laughs> by the way, have you guys seen that thing that I have on, on uh, YouTube called Red Shirt Landing Party? I have not. No. I did all the sound effects for it. It's, it, it there's no speaking parts in it. Uh, but a guy hired me to to do all the audio for it, a fellow by the name of Rich Moyer, and it's called Red Shirt Landing Party. I will be checking that out as soon as we are done talking today. And I did all the sound effects. I think you guys might like it. It's right up your alley. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I don't know. It could be a side street, uh, but it looked like an alley to me. There you go. All right, so if you get three correct, we send you the mug. If you get four correct, we send you the mug and the book. Okay. Okay? If mm -hmm. you get less than three correct, we uh, we like to call it a fun sequence. We take your picture, we make a meme out of you, and we put it in our group. Okay. You good with that? What is the topic? The topic is most of the stuff that you've done work on. Most of the shows you've, you've been part of. Okay. All right. I, here we go. <laughs> Come on, brain. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm Willoughby, G.I. Joe codenamed Deep Six, wanted to become a deep sea diver to A, be left alone, B, explore underwater worlds, or C, protect and serve from down below. C, protect and serve from down below. Well, I'm going to give it to you because you know your character, but the source information that we got it from says to be left alone. He wanted to work by himself. Well, that's what I said. I go down 50 fathoms. I, I like to work alone, but. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Willoughby. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm into the mindset of the character there, and that's because I'm a little closer to it than maybe you, the originator of <laughs> So please let yeah, me. You, that no, one. no, we're going to give you credit for that one. Okay, I promise to get out of the cerebral from now on, and we will just answer the questions. Next, there you go. Please. Question two: 
Statler and Waldorf are named after two New York City A, bridges, B, tunnels, or C, hotels. C, hotels. Very good. Two for two. Transformers the movie featured the first appearance from female Autobot RC, Galvatron, or Unicorn. RC. Unicron. But yes, RC, he's correct. So three for three. So that's your that's your coffee mug, sir. I'm All right. Again. All right. Juan Valdez. <laughs> Question four. Animal was inspired by what drummer? Keith Moon of The Who, John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, or Phil Collins of Genesis? Keith Moon of The Who. That's right. He was the animal behind the kit. I know. It's four for four, so you got yourself the mug and the book. You've avoided the meme, and we will make sure that Drayton puts a little calligraphy in the front of that thing for you. So we have uh, one more question you, for you. All right, please hit me with the fifth. I want to be five. The, I want the hand. <laughs> this Star Trek actor voiced an Autobot in the 1986 Transformers animated movie and returned in the dark of the moon to voice a prime. Was it William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, or DeForest Kelly? Leonard Nimoy, and I worked with him. There you go. Nice. I was there that day. It was We walked in right after Orson Welles left, and you could see he still had the chair there with a small table with a snifter and an bo empty bottle of Perrier beside it. Nobody was allowed in the studio when Orson recorded. But purportedly, there were some people from Marvel that were in a side studio on the floor peering up under the curtains to watch Orson record. <laughs> That's urban legend. That's cool. Yeah. I like urban legends. I liked working with, with him. It was wonderful. That is awesome. Ah, yes. You, you went have... five for five. I am, I am now the thing. <laughs> but please don't cut it off i need it for engineering <laughs> oh little advice for the future yes get your own studio learn how to be an engineer write for yourself learn how to make what you have in your mind come alive for your ears and do it yourself so you don't have to depend on others hmm. there you go excellent Good advice. <laughs> well, Hal, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can people go to find out more about your previous acting work and also the book that you had mentioned? Well, IMDB, you can check out my uh, my acting resume. You can also go to halrail.com. Uh, that's H-A-L-R-A-Y-L-E.com. Uh, and uh, I will be announcing my book as soon as it gets past the person who is going to proofread it. And then we send it out for publishing. So you'll be the first to know. I'll send out a, I'll send out the proper press releases. I'll make sure that everybody in Hollywood knows. Uh, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, all the big ones, of course, they'll be there. <laughs> Excellent. We will be sure to place those in our episode description so that people can find you and all your other works. All right. Thank you very much. You guys keep up the funny tra tradition. And uh, we're going to try. All right. <laughs> all right. One second here.
You know well, I was in Ewok, don't you? No, I missed that somehow. Yeah, I was the only one that they didn't have to process the voice. I'll tell you something. If you want to tell somebody something, just say, that means out of the way, blockhead and Ewok. <laughs> nice. Which Ewok was that? Courageous Caravan. I want to remind you guys that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Hal Rail today and funny moments for you guys to listen to. So please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It helps more than you're ever going to know. And be sure to check out Hal Rail and all of his works at HalRail.com and IMDB as well. And keep a lookout for that book. And if you're not happy with the content of our video today, all you have to do is submit in single form, of course, to Ms. Piggy, the head of our complaint department. Why only a single form? Because Piggy took it personally when we started giving her multiple copies. She felt that we were implying that she would lose the others. And frankly, the HR department doesn't have time to deal with all the pork chops. Ooh, <laughs> he just did a pork belly flop. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Hal. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for watching. All right. Bye-bye. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 45. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and attempts to hunt the predator 15 minutes into the mission, he will know that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his spine. <laughs> And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers. Information about Level Up Lightsabers and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at funny sci-fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the contact me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drake Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by funny science fiction or its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.